Hey guys, welcome to the JTAC podcast. This is Austin Orgain, and I'm here with Tate Streeter, Clay Blackheader, and a couple of cool guys from up north, the Nebraskans. We got Joe Thielen from Hornady, and Neil Davies, also from Hornady. How's it going? Good. 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 So you guys came down, uh, taking a JTAC class with us this weekend. What uh, What do you guys think so far? So I've, been, I've enjoyed it. It's day one. Um, like I said earlier, when I got here, I'm like, I don't know what I don't know. And sure enough, there's things you don't know. Yeah. There's so plenty I didn't know, but yeah, that was, it was great. It, it really simplified a lot of things. Um, yeah. And good, easy to understand instruction. Good. So, uh, let's go. What do you guys do for Hornady? What's your title? What's your, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sure. So, uh, I'm Joe Thielen. Um, I'm an engineer, mechanical engineer by schooling. Um, I grew up out in central Wyoming, so I've been shooting since I've been, you know, could hold a rifle and run around sparrows and stuff out in the crowd. Then, uh, went into college and like, oh, the mechanical engineers, people like, oh, it's miscellaneous engineering. Well, I was like, well, I like guns and ammo. They got to use engineers to do that. And I kind of kicked off my path, sent them a letter and they accepted me. So here I am. So how long have you been there? Uh, 17 years this May. Wow. So it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Wait, I thought engineers just drove trains. <laughs> <laughs> Says one engineer to the other, right? Engineer humor. There you yeah. Go. Uh, I'm Neil Davies, so I'm the marketing director at Hornady. I've been there close to 18 years now. And uh, before that, I was in the Marine Corps. I'm a school-trained scout sniper, and uh, by the time I... Ended up going into the civilian sector and working at Hornady. I, I thought I knew a thing or two about stuff, and guess what? I knew nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, that place is is fascinating. Um, yeah, I, y- you might think you know what it takes to make a bullet or cartridge cases or load ammo, but then you go there and you understand that, man, it it's just – you know, there's a lot of things going on there. And Joe is a huge part of, of what's been going on there for the last 17 years of his career. Um, but Joe and the rest of the guys that, that work in the engineering department, they come up with all the, the cool products that end up coming out and making home runs for us, which has been it's been a lot of fun. And Joe and I have worked together closely for a long time too, which is also fun. Yeah, but we, we got a good team. So, I mean, it's just um, – I tell everybody, they're like, well, you probably have the best job in town. And you're right. It is fun. It's a lot of fun, but it's still a job. But at the end of the day, if you use your products, like there's a ton of us guys there that use them. Right. We're hunters. We're shooters. Yeah. I mean, just like you guys, we not only do we do it for a living, but we do it because we like to do it. So we're like, that product would be good. I would I would use that product. And those are the products that are usually home runs. Yeah. yeah usually if it's something that people in the offices want to use then that's going to be a good one. You have a pretty good uh, market representation just working there then, huh? Yeah, oh, for sure. It was kind of interesting. So way back when uh, we did the 6.5 Creedmoor, and you you could tell it was going to be a hit at some point in time uh, because, as we like to call it, it was the overnight uh, success that only took 10 years. But uh, (laughs) What was the official date, like 06-ish? 07. 07? It was it was introduced in 2007 for the 2008 sales year. Um, so Joe Joe designed the cartridge case. Really? Yep, he was there for that. He did that one. 
Um, so what took it 10 years to, to get rolling? You know, it, it's, well, the 308 was the king, right? And, yeah. and metric cartridges in the United States just never been huge, quite frankly. But then I think precision shooting started to take off. And then, the, you know. Well, we designed that cartridge with two bullets, a 120-grain yeah. match bullet, 140-grain match bullet for NRA across the course. Mm. High-power shooting. It was never designed. So there wasn't any guns either. I mean, the guys that had guns built their tub rifles or whatever, you know, adaptation for prone and positional shooting and that's the way it started so it really didn't have it didn't have all the legs that will you know that mm -hmm. we give stuff now yeah well and you, you reckon 2007 so the brady bill sunsetted in 04 so everybody was hot to trot it was an ar market back that's then true. yeah so in fact the first guy the first company that chambered a, a, a rifle in this thing a commercial company that chambered a rifle was dpms so <laughs> We, I don't know, it's kind of a fun story. So we were at Camp Perry, and it was Dave Emery, uh, Dennis DeMille, Joe Thielen, myself. I don't know, probably Greg Kontorovich was there, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, I remember the four of us, but there was other yeah. people there. So we're just kind of, and I'm a fly on the wall. So, uh, you know, Dave and, and, and uh, Dennis are kind of picking at what would be the ultimate across the course cartridge for nra high power competition so dennis kind of put out some parameters basically about what he thought would be that you, know, you could load yeah these ammo. these you know if you have these capabilities you didn't spec out a cartridge or anything like that but these capabilities you know brass you could reload bullets that weren't too heavy yada 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 and to be fair as you know we've all killed a lot of brain cells since then so all those things kind of <laughs> fell by the wayside but then we had done the 30TC at the time, and before that was the 308 Marlin Express. And Dave uh, Emery, great guy, um, had uh, you know envisioned now what he thinks what this package would look like. And 65284 had been something people had shot for a long time, but that's too large of a cartridge for that particular sport there were some sixes that were kind Six of around and around. things like that but they weren't quite a mainstay whereas the 6.5 gave you what you needed for the 600 yard shooting right so that's 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 what at the time was going to be the thing and and again it's you know the tub gun was another one that was that uh creedmoor sports was selling um so that's how that kind of came about was just because of that conversation at camp perry and i have a photo of the place the pond and <laughs> Just because that's where it started. And history's made every day and you don't realize it, right? And that was one of those places where a conversation was had. And from there, these guys set about to, to design it. Joe, Joe developed the cartridge case. Dave did the powder development for the two loads. And uh, 6.5 Creedmoor kind of came to be. But it was, it was a Hornady Black Op, which we talk about in our own podcast. And Joe's been party to a few of those and i've been kind of the communication mouthpiece but together we're all hanged together i guess right nope. um so we had to go sell it to steve hornady at the time so the first stop was jason hornady who'd started there in 2006 and he said well yeah just go down there you'll have to, you guys have to go talk to dad it's like okay all right so <laughs> so dave emery and i went down there but i was like man i know okay i we'd done a few cartridge introductions well if for a cartridge introduction to be worth a darn, you you better have somebody that's going to chamber a gun in it, right? I mean, you know, back then you didn't just build a cartridge and people came to it. 
So I called up Dustin M. Holtz at DPMS and uh, I said, Hey, Dustin, you know, we got this cartridge coming out. Would you be interested in chambering it? And Dustin and I are pretty good friends. He said, Yeah, we'll do it. I was like, Oh, great. <laughs> okay. So now I have somebody that will chamber this cartridge. So Dave and I went down there and went and asked Steve if he'd, if, if we could do this. And uh, Steve Hornady, at least then, he didn't, he didn't say yes real easily. You know, he wanted you to convince him that it was a good idea and show that you believed in it. But that one, he, de- he never did say yes, but he said, okay. No, that, that was it. So we just walked out of there like, okay, I guess that's it. We're, we're good. So Dave and Joe set about and made it reality. So how long start to finish from the time that you first started working on it to when it was, you know, you could shoot it? How long was it? Well, Camp Perry's in July, and we had it the next year. Yeah, we we would have had prototypes probably in October. So, I mean, the cartridge case was around. It, it was neck down and different shoulder angle and some other things that were done that Joe did. But you have to run it through, you know, you have to run it through a prototype process, which was presumably faster back then than it is now, um, just because production demands are so high. And a machine that you'd like to use – for prototyping can be used right now to make product that people want to buy. So doing prototypes is a little tougher at the moment. Hard to do much R and D when you're so busy, you can't keep up with what. Yeah. I get asked all the time, when am I going to make 22 actions? And it's like, I can't keep up with what we make now. Yeah. But so that was the thing. So, I mean, again, that was kind of AR world. What that was, what was going on then that was hot. Bolt guns were not a big deal back then. So, but there was quite a few people that chambered it. Uh, uh, Patriot Ordnance Factory POF did it. DPMS did it. I think Bushmaster did it. There's a whole bunch of the mainstream AR companies did it. And then some bulk guys started to do it after that. And I think uh, George Gardner would have been one of those guys that would have done it back in the day. Uh, but I think that the the precision rifle style shooting stuff started to come on i don't know if it was prs that was around that that kicked it off i'm not necessarily sure prs first year was 12 so it might have been the prs type shooting but yeah i mean it it, because like there's no definitive moment that anybody can say boom but six five creedmoor gained a lot of popularity and there was a lot of mainstream gun companies that were chambering it for uh, hunting style rifles as well as ar pattern rifles but then yeah it it went pretty crazy for a while i would say still crazy i mean quite frankly we sell more this year than we did the year before and the year you know it just keeps compounding it's pretty crazy i I would say since 2015 until 20 late 20 we sold more six five creedmoors than any other caliber at the shop and now it's probably going to where six and six five are pretty easy, hmm. you know, even. But that's what we sell the most of out of all everything yeah. that we carry. Even still, even still. Yeah. So I guess it's probably just to, you know, guys getting into the longer range shooting, mass longer well, range hunting stuff that finally just started driving that. Everybody started realizing the case designs and, you know, the high ballistics coefficients of the six fives. And you think it just probably slowly started building on that on that six five. So what I think helped it as much as anything from my standpoint when a guy calls me on the phone and asks me what to use i know the hornady 65 creed and 6 creed ammo hammer mm-hmm. like the 65 prc hammers the 300 wsm hammers I, that's all i have 
you know, experience with, but it hammers. So I know if I have a customer and I'm trying to pick between two cartridges and I know he can buy this ammo and it's going to literally shoot like hand loads, then that's what I'm pushing. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to toot Joe, Joe's horn for him and, and the rest of the fellows and, and folks in engineering. But there's a, there's a recipe when these guys are developing cartridge, uh, designs and that interface between the cartridge case design and the chamber design matters. Oh yeah. And, I'll let Joe touch about the technical part of that, but they they know what they're doing and they they've come up with a great program that works really well to launch a bullet, you know, down the bore accurately. Yeah, so I I can see that because I'm going to let him get into it in a little bit, but when I started I was like, yeah, I'm just going to load my own, right? I started shooting a 6 Creedmoor and I had to work to get it to shoot as good as the factory ammo. That's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, people ask all the time like you know what to do for a six creed more and there's nothing i've been able to do for a while like buy hornady white box like the 108 eld match like it is one of the top two best things you can possibly buy the, the other one i would say is the 143 eldx's and 65 prc 65 PRCs both of them they're just obnoxious mm. yeah clay actually we're putting him off here but we put eight to get eight rifles together. Yeah. You came down that day. We we're about half of them are PRCs, half of them are 300 WC. Yeah. The, he messaged me. He's like, you're not going to believe what these rifles are doing. Really? Stupid tiny groups with that box ammo. It was really. I, like people ask me like, you know what, ammo, you load your own ammo? I'm like, no, I'm not loading my ammo for hunting ammo because one, I can't load it any better than that box ammo is for any realistic distance that I'm going to shoot. Like, and that's a fact. Like, yeah. You get single digit SDs yeah, out of a I mean, lot of it. Yeah. And if you can't outshoot it, like. Right. No one out in the world's right. going to do so, it. Yeah, so let's hear about this uh, magic potion stuff. There's, It's just physics. There's no magic to it. It's just a math problem. You just got to make sure that barrel gets started down the barrel straight and exits the barrel straight. And then, obviously, you got to build a good barrel to have – or build a good barrel, build a good bullet and those things. But then the, the interface is just make sure that bullet gets started good and straight. And that's – I mean, that's really what He's it is. He's just being humble. Yeah. <laughs> and then make sure you don't get you don't want to put too much powder in there or have too less powder get the right <laughs> amount of powder it's just, it's right contra, not as long as it's right. perfect it'll yeah. work as long yeah as, as, as long as it's perfect <laughs> well it's you can make them more forgiving unless we always hear stuff you know oh some of these cartridges got to be right on the knife edge you know their their sweet spot yeah. of making them work is pretty narrow well there's there's things you can do with you know just geometry and building it right and then so I'm talking about like chamber design and then you know case design shoulder yeah. angle border volume ratios and then the geometry of the the throat and the neck and the mm. clearances and the tolerances and stuff in the the chamber but yeah who's got who's got the the adage about the bar rebar is that you or is that Jaden? that's q well fill them in this is a good one i don't know that i know that one I can't say it like he does. You put me on the yeah. spot, and I don't, I don't know it. Jaden Quinlan, he's our ballistician. He's uh, Dave Emery's protege and then took over after Dave uh, left to go to um, uh, academia for a while. Um, but he says, yeah, you can, you, can, you, can take our you can take a chamber reamer we design and barrel up a, a, a bar of rebar and shove a 6.5 Creedmoor cartridge in it, and it'll shoot match accurately, you know, something to that effect. And that has just a lot to do with, and you know, no offense to all the guys that make great barrels out there, but that that just has something to say about that interface between the chamber and the cartridge case, and that design is important. But that's that whole story is just one story that happened there. Creedmoor is just one yeah. example of yeah. time, and you know, just 
that works. We'd, we'd, I would have one of those, you know, yeah. my kids. But it was like the perfect off. storm, you know. I mean, everything just kind of happened to happen at the right times for that cartridge, and it took off in a big way. So obviously, since then, many others have, and before that, many have for us. I mean, 17 HMR, 204 Ruger, huge. Um, but, yeah, that one has just been the gift that keeps on giving because we make lots and lots of it. And it's. And then the other thing I guess I would say, though, is that, you know, there was a 260 before that that had been mm -hmm. around. It just never had this widespread adoption. But then, yeah, I think people got interested in shooting stuff at longer ranges and people started to incorporate it into hunting guns and things like this. And it really it, it gained a niche there. I mean, it's the there's probably people out in podcast world who'll crucify me when they hear me say this, but it's a 270 Winchester from a short action with better long range ballistics yeah. in many regards. You know, so I mean, it does a lot of things really well. Yeah, I feel like it's a low recoil. You know, good velocity where kids can shoot it, anybody can shoot it. And it oh, kills yeah, kids particularly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. You know, you don't you don't have to put a kid behind a three hundred eight, and they kind of get beat up a little bit by yeah. it. On a lightweight hunting gun, mm -hmm. you put them with that 6.5 Creedmoor, and you know it's going to be able to kill whatever they're going to be able to shoot. Man, what's pretty funny about that is uh, my 7-year-old, we were deer hunting this year, and we were really deer hunting for me. And we had a deer step out at 326, and I wasn't interested in it, but I had my 6.5 PRC. <laughs> Must have been like a 175, <laughs> yeah. 180, not a... Yeah, if it doesn't crack not, 200, not he doesn't even look at it. <laughs> but anyway, I was trying to make him wait on a good one, and he couldn't do it. And I'm sitting here looking at the 6.5 PRC, and I'm like, ah, man. Because I'm really, you know, Wade Sudeville, you know, his kids grew up like before I even had kids and I can remember him. He wouldn't let his kids shoot shotguns, always shot suppressed, like didn't want them to get bad habits, flinching and stuff like that. And I remember the first deer I shot, I shot out with the open sight muzzleloader, one of those tops and center oh, yeah. muzzleloaders at 75 yards. And the first shot I made was an amazing shot. And then every time after I knew that gun kicked, it was so oh, hard. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I had my, I had my, uh, kid there and we're on a bipod and he can shoot pretty good and i i laid beside him and i locked my arm straight out and put it right behind the bipod like right on the back where he, mm. the pod lock is and he shot it and he he just smoked the deer and he goes man that didn't kick anymore in my 223 and i was like yeah but anyway um, kind of, it kind of reminds me of the first time my kids had uh had uh catfish i think that they'd caught yeah i got him some uh chicken fingers or something like that and told them it was catfish they love catfish to this day <laughs> <laughs> tricked them in yeah they think catfish is amazing they love catfish so what else have you uh you know come up with six five creedmoors one he said you worked on several quite a few yeah. prc six five three hundred i was shooting the 300 before it was ever even a, i shot it in 2000 and like seven or eight whenever the 375 ruger come out i necked that thing down to Made some dyes and took them over to the case plant and asked the guys to put them in the machine, neck that thing down to 30 cal. Joe, Joe used, they right used to shoot a lot of bench rest competitions, so they needed a heavy gun. And it's also a good cartridge case to test some of our bigger bullets. Test in. bullets out of Yeah. So, yeah, that one, all the match bullets. I don't know what it takes. I forget what they've all been. Cartridge. I don't know how many cartridge cases that I did over the years. You should, Six probably know more. so much it takes some of the fun out of it. I just pull it out of the box and shoot it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still fun to shoot, though. I, I like shooting. Shooting and hunting, 
that's it's a lot of fun. So in more recent years, uh, you guys developed the PRC, 6.5 PRC. That that really, I mean, to me, really filled a, filled the gap. You know, there was the 6.5 Psalms and the Wildcats and stuff like that that you couldn't really find anywhere commercially available. If you wanted to run it, you were pretty well hand-loading all of it. So you guys developed a 6.5 PRC. And it's, its benefit is that it feeds well out of a, of a blind mag, too. You don't just have right. to have a... Right. Well, and then you got really good factory ammo available. So, yeah. you know, anybody can go buy a factory really chambered good. rifle or a custom rifle and just get ammo off the shelf. Well, normally ammo off the shelf, not as of late, but. Well, that that's kind of a, an interesting one for me. So that is by far the most popular caliber I do load development for. Yeah. And they'll call me like, hey, you know, this is what I got. This is who built it. Can you do load development on it? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and like, well, what should I do if I, if you don't do it for me. I was like, we'll just go buy, you know, Hornady 143 LDX. People don't believe And they're like, oh, well, I've got a custom rifle. Like, I mean, I don't know if I want factory. I'm like, just trust me. Like, I may be talking myself out of money here, but just trust me. Go buy a box. I promise. Well, Joe had a lot to do with the ELDX bullets and the LD match bullets back in the day, too. And that was another, you know, revelation that took place. And that was all because these guys ended up getting a Doppler radar. I think the way the story went is you get either you or Dave or somebody went in there and there's two, two asks one, a high speed radar, high speed camera or high speed camera, sorry. And a radar. And well, we asked for a bolt. You bet. Asked for Hoping both. to get one. Right. <laughs> and then Steve told him we can only have one. Which one do you want? And so Dave is a aero, he's a aeronautical aerospace, aerospace, aerospace engineer. engineer. So he's like, let's get the Doppler. Yep. Take the radar. So they got best the radar. Thing, best decision we ever yeah. made. Yeah. I can still remember the first time you guys get a kick out of this. So back in the day where I used to shoot bench rest because I wanted to figure out how to test. I wanted to test bullets. And we got a tunnel and stuff, but I wanted to shoot them a long ways. When you're designing long-range bullets, I want to see how they work. So I shoot them out of 60-pound heavy gun, you know, at 1,000 yards. And you can tell what the bullet's going to do because the human, you're, you're literally just right. the trigger guy. So anyway, there was people. I go to matches, and we'd be making different batches of bullets and stuff. And I would shoot a lot number of bullets that was made off of a machine because I wanted to understand. I could, I had all the measurements for that one, how to test in the lab, blah, blah, blah. I had guys that never believed me to this day, thought that I had some little special room at Hornady that only made Joe Teenland's bullets. And I'd go get those special <laughs> bullets out of that room and I'd shoot those bullets at the, uh, yeah, but there's also a machine that's making some really good bullets. And these guys go out there with like a little bucket or something, get a bunch of bullets. <laughs> yeah. You do that now that we yeah. know, but back then you were testing them all, but yeah. they so that was that was kind of fun. Sixty pound gun, gun. sixty two pounds. Wow, rode on sandbags, but it's a great way to test. I mean, hey, you're right. I mean, it's all load development, bullets and barrels, right? Right. right. But you got to learn what aspects of the bullet you needed to mess with in order to make it perform on target. But so that one was good. Um, what other one was good? The first day I can remember vividly the first day that we ever shot the A tips. And I know we're jumping forward a little bit, but Quinlan and I were out and we had shot them on the radar. And all of the so when you shoot on the radar, the 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 C D curve, like you watch it live. You you watch the bullet fly down range on the computer screen because the radar is tracking it. And uh so we shot these on the radar and all the tracks look, I mean, cookie cutter the same. And we're like something's not it's right broken. So we, it's broken double yeah. check double check get a different gun you know try that grab it screw a different barrel on the gun try that and they're all the same we're like all right hold on we still i mean we believed it because i mean you have i mean it's 
you, you can't mess it up if it's set up right. So we laid down at 600 yards and shot these little white plates. I was shooting a PRC at the time and laid down on my belly and shot the plate. Okay, I'm a little low of center at 6 o'clock. Shot it again. Man, I know I didn't miss. The plate wiggled. Shot it again. Plate wiggled. And you, you literally can't tell that that lead splatter is getting any bigger. I mean, you're putting bullets, like, on top of each other at 600 yards. Q lays down next to me. He's like, all right, let me try this. He gets his creep more out. Ding, 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 ding. Does the same thing. And we look at each other. We're laying right next to one another. And we're like, oh, yeah. You, yeah, it's exactly what went on. We're like, you've got to be kidding me. It's the what we theorized was right. And we just watched it happen in front of our eyes. So what was, I take it as a 6.5, the first eight tips that rolled out? 153s. The 153s that, are the first. Is that a black op then or was that? It was a black op. Yeah. A tips for a black op, but but so I mean company, kind of black yeah, op. So were, so so what are you just, what are you talking on black op? Well, just kind of. What's not? Wait, it's a it's a ah, it's not necessarily. Yeah, okay, they're black ops. Like some of them, we just the group of motivated people within the company. Let's say, <laughs> you know, just we build some stuff. Yeah, but times. I mean, it's always okay. prototyping. But the prototyping process doesn't come from the top. The prototyping process comes from the middle. You know, yeah. and then, you know, you, you proof it out and then, hey, look at this. This is amazing, which is how it should be. You know, right. that, that's how those things should be. So that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it hasn't seen the light of day yet. It's not an official project, but basically it's they proofed the concept out. It's how that works. We but, were at Dallas Safari Club. So when was that? What year? Because we were there about either January of 18 or 19. And we were with Steve Hornady and Neil memory yeah and they were like something's coming we can't tell you what it is but something's coming when did we do it had been eight so we that would have been a year or two before we did them because yeah. i'm sure those were like the early ones and then we're like okay hold on we got to refine this you know with other see if this worked not just we shot one caliber in one way i bet it was 18 sure this works so how did how do you go how does it become 153 why not 154 why not 152 um, you know, what was it that made you guys say okay in that math cal math calculation yeah so weight for me when we do a bullet the weight is the last thing that i yeah, consider designs of the weight's bullet. basically just the byproduct of the whatever weight, the design of the bullet is the weight is the byproduct of the shape and you know what's in it and where's you know how much lead in the copper and what geom geometric shape and then the weight is what it and is it, but to be fair in some stuff that's got to fit into a commercial pre-established cartridge uh design then yeah there's certain things that have to be considered there yeah if you're going to design uh, something you want uh fitness seven mag so 308 168 yeah bullet needs to weigh 168 not 1665 or whatever you really should i mean people want to shoot 168 so there's some of those things you do but when you're going for something want, all new or like for what we're doing you want to make the bullets shoot out there and shoot the same spot every time mm -hmm. Then build the bullet right, let the weight. But you can see that in the A-tip line. I mean, there's there's kind of those conventional weights, and then there's race cars, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, even the conventional weights are are Corvettes, and then you've got, you know, but the Z06s was, and whatever else. Yeah, like there. the 190s. Yeah. Like the, those are something. Or the 3250s. The what? The 30, 30 cal 250s. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those are nuts, are, too. Yeah. Oh, those yeah. are a monster. 375s are pretty fun yeah, to shoot, too. Yeah, they're pretty cool looking. I know that. I'm still waiting on my stuff. Oh, they're fun to shoot. Yeah, they're bad to the But bullet. the A-tip thing, so, I mean, we made the 50 cal Amax bullet for a long time. I mean, that had been around for quite a while. Yeah. So making a bullet with an aluminum tip wasn't necessarily a new thing, but when the ELDX 
because that's how the whole heat shield tip thing came to be was was primarily for eld x's not eld matches um it was at a time when people were starting to do extended range hunting mm -hmm. and they were using bullets that a lot of us dave emery in particular took umbrage at like these are not controlled expansion projectiles they don't do the same thing repeatedly so i guess we should we'll talk about hunting at some point but you want in a hunting scenario you want a bullet that's reliable and and is predictable you want controlled expansion match bullets have relatively thin bullet jackets pretty much across you know all of them right now there's probably a lot of people listening to this that <laughs> might give you an email or, or call you about it but when we make those bullets we're looking to make a controlled expansion projectile that has a limiting feature to it so it doesn't turn inside out because you can't tell me that you're going to not put one on a shoulder or put one you know are, are you going to hit it on the shoulder or behind the shoulder you want to have a bullet that works reliably so that you can cleanly and ethically kill your animal i mean i think we can all agree to that yeah so that wasn't a thing the, you know people were using bullets that weren't they would pencil through sometimes and other times they would yaw but they were not there's no controlled expansion mechanism you have big old blocks of jail just like you see on tv yeah those yeah we do and and what you'd have and and we'd get reports back from people that are hunting too that's the other part of that um and the whole long range or extended range hunting conversation that's a whole other thing which you know our kind of our company philosophy is if you can get closer you should that's kind of where we we leave it there because um you know one person's can't shoot stuff at 100 yards and another person that's just getting started so we, we're not gonna we don't get into that bit but anyway long story short we needed to create a projectile that would work at low velocity and high velocity so that's where the eldx thing came into being but in that process they joe dave i don't know Jaden there then oh yeah absolutely they developed a bullet and they were very happy with this projectile and they came to jason is that who you came to jason already i don't know somebody uh, on the eldx i don't need it was pre-eldx it was like they had this bullet and it was ready to go and they brought it into jason or steve or somebody like that and then like the next day they shot him over the radar and that's when noticed the something's what is oh, this i know what story you're talking about now yeah oh we got it yeah we got it and then the next day you got to come back in and tell the boss oh uh, we don't got it <laughs> yeah because <laughs> what they, what they because of the tips yeah they yeah. they they had uh identified aerodynamic heating taking place which, to be fair, when we looked at, once we started down this whole project, you'd look at some other people that had done, had contracted some uh, Doppler radar testing, and, and you could see on their data that they had the same thing. They just didn't identify it. Yeah. So, they, I think, yeah, Dave, you, Jaden, whomever, it's like, that's what's going on here. So, they tried everything to do, right, to try to catch one or something like this. Oh, but we did all sorts of crazy stuff. Oh, you're trying to catch a bullet in flight. We yeah, with the high speed with, without I'm camera, without damaging the tip. Yeah, yeah. pictures. We tried uh, all, and it was, it was but what they did do was the next best thing. Out there with a the baseball glove. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, well, come out here. So even get it in your teeth. over here. So what they did was the next best thing, and they would they would progressively cut tips, and make them shorter and shorter to see when they were measuring those same results, and indeed that that's what was happening. So the aerodynamic heating takes time it takes velocity what else rpms time it's just uh it's time in the air yeah. so re retained retained velocity downrange so the, yeah. the the 
the more higher BC, the more efficient yeah. the bullet is, the worse it is. The more heating you get. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, You're shooting prairie dogs at three, four, or five, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. But you start shooting at extended ranges now, with with high performance projectiles, it's, it makes it starts to make a huge difference for you. So anyway, those guys figured that part out, and then we had to identify heat shield tip material. So then that got incorporated into what would then become the eldx which was a projectile that expanded at high velocities or relatively high velocities all the way across the the usable spectrum for the projectiles uh effective range um so then naturally what are you going to do well we've done this for hunting bullet we should we should do it for a match bullet too so we did but that i think everybody would like to have done an aluminum tip at that point in time but that process was expensive and you know, machine, I'm sure the market the was, I mean, capabilities hadn't got as good as they are now efficiency yeah. on screw machines and people had to, you know, aerodynamic heating was kind of a revelation that we we're trying to tell the world at the time too. And now we want you to pay a whole bunch more for this perfect tip that's going to go into projectile. But the difference between the tips you can make out of a polymer versus aluminum, I mean, they just, it's just a better tip, yeah. I yeah. mean, but but the adage we'd give you like somebody, we'll just shoot a BTHP. Well, take a take a take this water bottle here, and I'm gonna give you some tin foil. Now make that same tip around all these water bottles that are on this table. Make them exactly the same every single time. You you can't. Whereas if you mold that tip and insert it in the projectile, it's it's already perfect. They're all the same. Now you make it out of uh, out of aluminum where it's you know it's it's precise whereas there's differences in molds of you know from each mold to the, the next it's small it's tiny but you, it's not the same as you can get by making out of a machine part so i've got a question going back to the the 65 prc with the 153s when you originally came out with that were you testing that out of a short action or a long action or what were you testing i've short short so i'm glad to hear that because we sell primarily short actions mainly because we can't make enough of them all the i know guys build 65 prcs on long actions but all of the testing and success was done on short, short actions yeah. people just always want to stretch everything out no matter what the cartridge is yeah mm -hmm. the first one i ever did was short in fact my hunting rifles are short actions too they're all I, prcs all minor shorts yeah yeah and that was it that was that was one that was you know took a little selling we had to Tell people you're going to make this was a two nine five five something like that. So nine five five. The oh at nine forty two nine forty. That you know two nine fit in fifty or whatever it is max. Didn't fit in a standard short action, but you know to, to quote Jason Hornady, look, we built this thing, we made it a high performance cartridge. You should build a gun that that works for it. You know, and that and that unlike the six five Creedmoor, well, we had a lot of people that were interested in it, but we kind of we were bringing that cartridge out regardless. And there was there was somewhat of a demand for it on kind of the in the PRS world, quite frankly. And then, lo and behold, it took off as a hunting cartridge as well in a big way. And that's how we introduced it as well. And we we did garner some attention from a bunch of mainstream firearm manufacturers too. I, I never will forget um, the day I I walked the stage at college graduation in '08. Um, me and two buddies took off to Alaska for the summer. And I, I had worked for a guy growing up that said, man, if I got any advice, it's like after you graduate college, before you get married, before you have kids, just go somewhere off and, like, just experience it. And he was like, Canada, Alaska, something like that. Well, my buddy on the way to Alaska in May of 08 bought a 
he was a six five Creedmoor fanboy before he ever had one. He bought a magazine with a six five Creedmoor on it. That's where I first remember hearing about it or reading about it or anything. It was like three oh eight versus six five yeah. Creedmoor on the title. <laughs> like guns and ammo or something. So uh, basically every forum that's out now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like fresh. Yeah. yeah, people, you know, there's a lot of people. Some people are just contrary and they don't want to admit that something's cool or, you know, whatever. Yeah, or better, and hey, better design. If most you don't if you don't like it and you like something else, you go for it. And you most know? people don't know. Well, don't bash on some, I mean, there's I think there's plenty of cartridges I don't own, but I don't begrudge anybody who does. So Yeah, for sure. But I do get messages about every September from industry people that start DMing me. Hey, is a six-five Creedmoor big enough for hunting elk? <laughs> <laughs> I say, well, there's thousands upon thousands of dead elk that say it works perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, just, just watch your numbers, right, keep it with, in the right spot. Yeah, yeah keep it within true. reason. You'll be fine. Yeah. Well, um, I've got to bring up a question that you know the aluminum tips are better, but from what I hear from Clay, the 109s are pretty dang impressive um, so, that are coming out. Yeah, I, got, I mean, I've got to play with them quite a bit. Um, you may or may not believe this story, but uh, I was um, had just got a new shipment of stuff, and I had a military order that I had to do. And while I was testing out different lots of stuff, I was like, "Well, I got 109s here with me," and I was gonna, I had some other calibers that I was gonna mess with, and um, I alternated rounds. I just randomly threw five rounds with A tips, and then five rounds with uh, 109s in a magazine. Don't know what order they were in, and I shot a um, just under two inch group at uh, 800 yards with them. Um, and uh, you know, everything I've seen says that they are bang on the same. I mean, I'm sure once you got out to you know, 11, 1200 yards, that little bit of BC difference would show up, but out to 800 yards, I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, that's crazy. It's I mean, form I, factor. They're, <laughs> they're, I mean, they're, they are the same, they're the same bullet, but different, you know. I mean. The, the the tip swap with in them but other than that yeah they're i mean they're they're a well-designed well put together bullet just obviously the just like the 110 kind of took your own horn there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i feel like it's gonna it's gonna target a really big part of the market well, i think that it's gonna be the prs well. bullet and i don't think it's gonna be close obviously i don't think the a tip is gonna go anywhere it's kind of like you said about race cars you know you got your limiteds or whatever and you got your opens and they, they both have their place and they, they both have their place but i think that one and I they do really the, well in the shooting community i mean we don't obviously the I, I don't shoot as good as you guys but the a-tips are for they were built designed and intended for the top i mean or, i mean the people that want them but they're designed for the, the the guys like you sitting there that where you need a point or two yeah. so that bullet can get you that point so two. so what's impressive is they more or less? I think I got my first batch in shop rags, in <laughs> yeah. about in a August, white box, uh, in a white box, yeah. in a white shop rags in about yeah. August of eighteen, somewhere in there. Might have been, might have been nineteen. I don't remember, but shop rags. Yeah. So the nineteen PRS Golden Bullet, the nineteen NRL Finale, the twenty nineteen AG Cup, the nineteen AG Cup, the twenty NRL uh twenty PRS Finale, and the twenty AG Cup. Just all in the first two years were won with with A tips, and then the twenty one PRS finale too. So we didn't really think about it. We got those cool <laughs> signs that I still have in my shop today, where y'all, you know, everybody, signed everybody them. had something to do with A tip. It's yep. really cool. Like, yeah. I'm gonna keep that forever. But like, I didn't really think about it. But when you meet the guys that put all the work in that, you know, I bet that was pretty cool. I mean, it was cool from our end, but I bet it was really cool on your end, like seeing that bullet succeed. So. That, 
that go ahead clay i I never the only trophy that i had ever won that was displayed in any way like every trophy i'd ever won was just piled in a corner like they were just tossed on top of each other just whatever Uh, except for the golden bullet it was sitting on a shelf um until justin came and redid everything the only other thing that was ever displayed was that poster that all you guys had signed signed for the eight so that's funny that you say that tate because after we had so fast forward jade and i shot those did the radar we're doing all that stuff with those a tips and we were gonna in fact i'm pretty sure that i'm the one that filled that box with shop rags and oh yeah whatever and i think i have about 50 of those bullets left in a little bag because i keep samples of everything but anyway we sent those out and him and i would talk about and we're like we're gonna send these out and we're not gonna say anything but you watch if if the guys load up and shoot good they're gonna they're gonna kill every they're gonna they, they have a I better need more yeah well they yeah. need more but they what, what do they say the they first hit of cracks free yeah. they're gonna <laughs> win soundly because you have a better you can drop these bullets in your gun and go get more points yeah, yeah. period so, period done it's just the way it works so one thing i liked about him is i called wade so wade had had him for like probably two weeks but he's so busy he wasn't going to go shoot him and i was hungry at the time to shoot better and i met Jaden and neil at georgia's and like later that week i had some and i took them outside and i called wade and i'm like man i can like these are it like i can't make them shoot bad and i was only shooting at 100 but i was like this is it like it's it's a sweet spot so it, it was a good day yeah and we took we take you guys to ftw too didn't we uh no i could have gone but wade went i don't remember what i had yeah going, but wade we did went. do it we did do an event like that but yeah that that was a tips have been a lot of fun. I That's mean, probably the most rewarding project. I mean, of yeah. all the ones that I've done, that was the most rewarding. But it wasn't the the rewarding day was when all those hey we won the one whatever yeah. the AG Cup and then this and then that all right away and we're like yeah I could have called that which was pretty cool. I mean that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean I think I won the first match I ever shot with them. Um, I want to say they came out like public release was like june july-ish of 2019 somewhere in there i had um, to win really new mexico really close uh nra show i think that's when we did it didn't we I, it was 18 uh, 19, i just remember when we first started making them was 18 19 yeah i just know the first time i was able to buy them was sometime in 19 and tate and i i don't know what made us go but we decided to go down and shoot mpa and i'd get, just gotten them didn't know what i was doing just kept the same seating depth same powder charge didn't change anything went and you're still lucky that that kyl came along where I shot before you, you know we, get that, we get down in, into Georgia and uh, man, it was only, it was like stage seven or eight of that day. Maybe that was our very last stage, very last stage of the day. And I'm beating them, him and Joe. He is. He was whooping me. And, uh, we get up and there's, a, there's two dual and TYO racks. So like, I don't know, let's just say five and six fifty. I don't know what they were somewhere in that range. And you get the option to lay on the ground prone or you can shoot off the bench and everybody's shooting off the bench. I'm like, look at these goobers. Like, what are they shooting off the bench for? <laughs> so I'm like, Clay, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to lay on the ground. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I thought that was smarter, but now that you say it is, it must be. I lay down on the ground, and I see, like, four different targets dancing around down there through the mirage. And once you committed, they wouldn't let you change. So it was a pretty bad deal. So I got, like, a, what, a four on that stage or something? I don't know if you even hit four of them. I don't know if you shot within a yard of four of them. I think I might have got a three or four, and I lost by four, and y'all cleaned it or something along yeah, those me lines. Yeah, me and Joe. Because you and Joe probably went off yeah, of the Yeah, I went off the bench. I learned from that mistake, and I went off the bench. I was like, no, Clay, on the ground. <laughs> So I, I hit the ground running with them. That's what I was loading for customers when I first started. Won that first match with them. Then 
you know. But that that's how that whole I mean all that type of testing goes. I mean hunting and stuff, same deal. You know, you can come up with something in the lab and you could shoot it and testing and things like that, but you know, once you once you think you got something, you got to send it out to some folks that are going to test it now in a bunch of different barrels and under different conditions and loading it this way, loading it that way and and that's why it was important to get it out to all you guys to to see if okay is this real so we do this right and obviously we did so one thing i think the general population have wrong is they always want to customize something because they think they can do it better and you know we we do we sell barrels with semi-spec chambers and they work but everybody wants to change them up somehow and you know guys have problems with this or that with this bullet or that bullet and if they just use the semi-spec the sucker would work so I don't know why people change it up, but people feel like they're making it better by changing it when they really don't know the blood, sweat, and tears and the and the passion that's gone into z- to designing the the Sammy spec. Um, I see I see that daily. You know, people want custom stuff. You're like, no, we don't do that. And I, I can't say you don't really want that like you think you do, but that's what I want to say. But you know that that I think sometimes guys don't have success with it's because they make some kind of goofy reamer that they don't need to make. Sure that they don't. We. All of that stuff that we just have been talking about was designed and built and manufactured for a purpose. It's made that way. If we didn't just we didn't just pull those numbers out of a hat and decide, oh, yeah, this kind of looks nice. We we built all that stuff on purpose for you know for a reason, d- depending on what it is. Making that easy of, button. That and yeah, a lot of it has been else, right? a lot of it has been since we're going to such a. I mean, how many of you got, I know Clay loads your ammo and stuff, but how many of you, I, I have to load ammo, and I'm too busy to be loading a ton of ammo, man. I want to yeah. go get some seconds ammo or ammo out of the, you know, closet or whatever and go shoot. I'd rather spend my time shooting than right. brass prep and all right. that stuff. I load to shoot, not shoot to load. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And and there are people that love to tinker, you yeah, know, I'm so. I'm a tinker. I like to shoot. So to them, rock and roll, but the cartridge and chamber design was built that way for a reason yeah um i'm gonna ask a question you may or may not be able to answer it um so the 109s just came out does that mean there's going to be like a 134 and a 152 and a 165 and and a 189 does it go back to like me like you're making plenty of what you have so there's you can't expand yeah right right now yeah i mean because i love don't get me wrong we're business is great we're you know doing well and stuff but i love to mess with the new stuff i, I yeah. love doing that and there's we don't I, have time to do that, that that's right. what businesses that don't hit dead ends do so even though i don't want to work on new stuff it takes time takes money takes effort but you have you, you need to do it as a company to keep pushing forward and if you know if the market gets back to a place where new products are what's going to start driving things again got plenty of things that in the works that are yeah started. and i mean but some are relevant, some are not. Some are not even in Skunk Works. Some probably Joe has finished and just waiting, <laughs> waiting Wait, to really. show the light yeah. of day, you know. So, I I mean, no, there's – it's a good question. I mean, we did do the 6-millimeter arc. At, you know, that one ha- kind of had to come out when it did. We had it ready to roll, and then COVID hit. We were going to do it at the NRA show. Uh, we all know what happened in 2020. Um, but we'd already have, we already had some DOD contracts that we were working on with that. That customer also felt that it was a good idea if, you know, let's hopefully it can gain, uh, public, uh, interest as well. Cause then it just helps with the longevity of a, 
of the cartridge right. which they had adopted and uh you know everybody pretty covid weary and then i think we did it in june is when we did that so we waited till kind of the the first push of covid was over and people were looking for something to do um but yeah i mean a lot of big new products are tough to to get out when you know people are it's, it, we're in a state of hyper demand i mean that's what it is and i hope everybody can understand that the, the the folks that used to buy three boxes of ammo now buy three cases if they can find it and if right. they could find another three cases tomorrow they'd buy that too so us and everybody like us clay you can attest to this too just can't make enough right so i john scouting um shooting usa reached out to me to make him one and wade screwed up chambered up the barrels and and I made some bolts. Um, I can't remember how many I made, probably eight-ish. And I thought, I'm just going to make some in case we sell them. And I've never advertised them just because we're so busy. I don't even have time to advertise them. Um, we sold all those. And I bet you we've sold, which it's probably little numbers to you guys, but I've probably sold 48 of them, not even trying. They don't not even listen on the website. That requires people to call and ask if we make a bolt. And I'm like, yeah, actually, I have one. You want it? They're like, yep, every time. So you know, that, that cartridge has been another home run too it, sh um, it should be like the ultimate little like my kids round oh yeah no doubt absolutely and for for a period we we sell <laughs> a lot of it um and and for quite a long time and i mean even today there's still not a huge amount of people that are making six arc guns but because it fits on an ar-15 platform everybody can go buy parts and put together an upper or assemble a gun or whatnot. And you'd be shocked at how much six arc we sell. Well, it's a great replacement for the six, five Grindle because six, five Grindle is a pretty inherently accurate cartridge. Easy to shoot. It's just so slow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. You're running what? One twenty three is at 2,550 feet a second. So you get to step to that six millimeter with good ballistics and get a little bit more speed out of it. It just does a, the six millimeter arc does a lot of things really well. You know, it, it just, it's one of those do-it-all type little cartridges. I mean, it, you want to shoot varmints? Fine. You want to shoot deer? Fine. You need it for personal protection? Fine. It just does a lot of things really well. Yeah. Awkward pause. Yeah. <laughs> that penguin break the ice. Yeah. <laughs> I like the arc. I, I want to, uh, I have a Grindle that I've had for a long time that I actually want to rebarrel to an arc and do an arc. My, uh, my fun little gun's a 300 Blackout. Uh, oh, yeah. Wade built a summer of some uh, SF guys that wanted some short ones. So we have, what, six and three-quarter inch barrels, something like yeah, that? Yeah, they're real short. On some folder XLRs. And an interesting story, I got a Thunderbeast 338 can on that sucker. But, Cans longer than um, the barrel. Clay and I took the, what is it, 195, the subsonic? Is it 195? 190. 190. 190 stuff out. And I kid you not, at 100 yards, you could shoot a half-inch group with 20 rounds. <laughs> it was pretty and And we were shooting – Ipsix to 400? I thought we went to six. We might have gone to six, but four. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, 400 extremely accurately. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, it started to taper off a little bit, and six, it started to taper off. But 400, it was stupid what it would do. And we're like, I didn't even, we just started shooting and coming up. We didn't really put it in a calculator or anything like that, but it was stupid what that stuff did at 100 yards. I mean, you'd hit a coyote every time. Yeah, there's no, 400 there's no yards shortage of, of interest in six and a half inches. I mean, as long as it didn't take a step within the next four seconds. Plenty of time of flight on that one. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anything subsonic is still pretty popular. I mean, that's and and rightfully so. I mean, why not? Yeah. It's, well, that stuff expands well, is what makes it fun. There's until that, I hadn't shot a sub round that expanded well. 
but um another one i mean that was another one that our team over yep. here you know all your guys worked on hard for that so was that was that bullet specifically developed for the 300 blackout for subsonic expansion absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah i don't know if we're supposed to shoot beavers but <clears throat> i know somebody that shot a beaver <laughs> out of the water one time and it was amazing what it did to that beaver like it was hard on it <laughs> It's hard on it. It was hard on it, he says. I've got a 300 blackout, too, and I don't even have any subs for it because I couldn't when find I, it. When I asked if they had gel, I just thought about it. They probably raise like goats or something that horned these Ballistic test code. Hey, hey, get her ballistic <laughs> test code. <laughs> no, we do not have a ballistic test gun. <laughs> no animals are harmed yeah. inside the Hornady Wall. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> he said there was a meat plant in town. This is all falling yeah. together here. Yeah. But we do. But hey, we, we got need some ballistic testing. How many you got yeah. to kill today? <laughs> but we do. We do a lot of uh, ordnance gel testing. I mean, we go through piles and piles and piles of that stuff. So for our law enforcement stuff. Um, Joe's got guys that work for him that have to test for expansion every single day to make sure that the bullets are working as advertised before they get loaded. And then on the hunting bullet side, we do a lot of that when we start working up through the designs. But then that's all fine. So ordnance gelatin is 10% ballistic gel, ordnance gelatin. So it replicates um, like one contiguous piece of muscle right so like tissue it's tissue there's no bone in there there's none mm -hmm. of that stuff so now you gotta you gotta get it out there and have it and test it on in real world so situations so when you're testing that i assume that you know you're 10 feet away whatever it is say that you're shooting a 6.5 creed more at, you know 2840 whatever it is um if you want to see what that would do at 600 yards do the just pick a different powder and load it way way down and Can't. match whatever velocity it would be at 600 yards kind of so you do it. We've done it both ways. You can go out and shoot it at distance, which is the best way to do it. Or you can take a, you build a barrel with a artificially fast twist rate and it, load it down. Does it have to do with the heating up? It's exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That makes exactly sense. what it is. That plastic gets a little warm. Expands well. When yep. you're actually doing it at distance, you have that still same like six by six by, you know, three foot hunk of gel. Or do you use a lot bigger chunk we, to make sure that you hit it? So we've done it both ways <laughs> so, <laughs> it depends on what we're, it depends on what we're shooting to be honest but sometimes we make a lego, lego pile yeah. of I, gel. Yeah. I just bought a bow tar a, a target out there on the back of my truck and i got the big one for the same reason <laughs> i told tate i said got the big one huh because <laughs> yeah you know about that arrows are 25 dollar arrows yeah, yeah you don't want to miss them things i tell you what that archery deal is a perishable skill you go out if you haven't shot in four or five months and go out and try to shoot it you better have a big target oh not yeah. get very far away from yeah it. start out away. close I yeah. gotta be close, but then you got to take those bullets. Like it's on the hunting side, you got to take them out and you, you get them tested in real world situations. Um, so, <laughs> like when we did the ELDX, we we had a group of riders and we took them overseas. And one of the better places is going to Africa, where you're for you know very big variety of yeah, it's a huge variety of animals uh, from big to small, and at different shooting angles and all this right i mean some folks are going to shoot them on the point of the shoulder some are going to shoot them behind the shoulder and some are going to have a normally in a situation like that there's somebody that has a rodeo well so we we, we took the initial eldx's they were 300 300 wind mag, 300 wind mag 200. 200 grain bullets we took them over there and i forget who all was there but 
like Tom Beckstrand was there. So I mean, we had some people who knew how to shoot, but not everybody. On that trip with six outdoor riders that were doing the expose and whatnot, there was not one rodeo where there was some wounded animal that got away. But what we did come back with was that the bullets got altered after that because there was too much of a cavity in there. So they were too volatile. So they were expanding faster than they at needed short, to. At short range. So so and that so that's why you have to go and do those things. I mean, um, but yeah, everything from Elon to I think, you know, warthogs and uh bush bucks and stuff. So I don't know what you call it, but my favorite coyote hunting bullet, I don't know if you've heard, but is the eighty seven V Max. Oh, going man. about thirty six hundred. Because on a coyote, I'm not worried about keeping hide where we're from, but when it hits, you it wanna, blows up. You want to It's like a right grenade. Oh, and yeah, he does not it hits him like a truck. Yep. He runs his in a six PRC. Yeah. I run mine in six Creedmoor, and so I figured out you can buy that uh, Varmint Express, mm-hmm. right? With eighty seven yeah. grain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a great bullet. It's slower than what you can handload it, but it shoots really good. It's good. Well, I decided to see how fast I could handload it. Well, I got an eighty seven grainer going thirty seven hundred in a Creedmoor. Way too hot. So I loaded it back to like 3550, which is still pretty hot, but golly, it puts a hammer. I ordered some of that Varmint Express, but y'all must be way back on that because I haven't gotten it. I got some and shot I shot a little bit last year. I ran out of bullets and didn't want to reload, and I was like, I'll just grab these. So I shot it over to the lab radar real quick. I don't remember. It was like, it's still like 3250 or 3300 or something like that. It's still plenty fast. It's plenty fast, it's plenty fast but it, yeah. It's amazing what that happens, though. You get a little bit bigger bullet and hammer dogs as going fast, especially at I found at night. Like, because they're hard to, you know. Yeah, they're hard to range. You don't know how far, hard to judge, and you want to find them right there, you know. So I don't know how that bullet stays together because I can, we're shooting in the seven and a half twist at 3,600 plus, and you do the RPMs on that sucker, it's turning. 300. How long is your barrel? Um, I've got variety, but mine's I've shot it out of a 26, but mine are 22. 22. So are. that helps you. Shorter barrel helps because it? it's not in getting there. out of there. It gets out of there. So it doesn't get all that heat from the friction. Yeah. That bullet was our, it still might be, but, you, but it's our most popular bullet in South Africa. Really? 87? For, yeah. They oh. use it for, in 243s for culling Springbok. Because hmm. they, they you know, call everything. With yeah. They boom right in the head. So, <laughs> so it's just supremely accurate and they shoot 243s. So way. funny story on that. I was trying to figure out where to start a load on this, and I was like, "Man, I, you know, I don't know where to see them or anything like that." So I went to the Hornady manual and looked exactly what the factory bullets were loaded for overall length, loaded overall length, and it didn't matter what I what powder charge I put in it, just shoot one hole. In it. I, I like them, and I just found the velocity note I wanted and ran them. Yeah, that's that's my favorite bullet to hunt with. It's cool. I was hunting a lot with the uh, the elite hunters, the 103s. And they killed really well. I, I killed Kyle really well with them. It was obviously they were slower, heavier bullet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I really want to hot rod some. So if you don't get a good range on them, or you got to run and coyote or whatever. So I loaded those eighty sevens and hot rodded them. Yeah. So we can argue Clay actually is a one ten a tips, but out here you're liable to have more shots from six hundred to nine hundred that are realistic. Where I'm from, six hundred ends typically what you'll see, if, especially if you're calling them. They're bouncing along. You might catch them and see them thirty yards later and. and I like that it hits them so hard, but I get a little. I feel like at the short range, and it's arguably so, depending on how fast you run a one ten, but you get a little bit more range forgiveness. So you know, if a cow pops up for a split second, I don't have to sit there and take a range. You know, I'm, I've got a little bit of forgiveness there. But man, I, I love them. I, I'd hate to say how many cows have been shot with eighty seven V maxes around Seminole County. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. Not enough. That's right. That's my yeah. theory on those things. Yeah. <laughs> So Clay figured out if you run a 110 A tip pretty fast, it'll do a lot of damage too. And it'll 
it'll skin them at the same time. You know, <laughs> it's just one one shot does it all. I switched to the uh, a 22 Creedmoor in 90s this year at about 3420, and the biggest thing I miss is the thud. You really don't get much of a thud. So, we were, funny story, we were hunting together, I don't know, it was the first time we hunted this, uh, yeah. so it was day after Christmas, I think. We hadn't done much hunting because we had all the late AG Cup and finale and all that stuff. And we were hunting uh, out west of here. <laughs> he shoots one with a 90 grainer, and I was like, golly, did he even hit that thing? Mm-hmm. And he just centered it up, right? And one comes 100 yards from me with those 87 green mats. And it's like you just kick a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Clay goes, yeah, your sound's way better. <laughs> yeah, big yep. thwack. I like the I like those bullets where you squeeze the trigger and you don't even have to you know by the ears if you got him or not. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't yeah. Even sure that I'd even hit mine. Mine was at, yeah, you know, six something. I could not get it to move. I was like, well, you're not safe there. You're just making me work a little harder to come drag you back home. But yeah. um, <laughs> that's the bad part about it. When you shoot them way off, you got to go drag them. <laughs> I guess you don't gotta. We weren't in a contest or anything. We could. We weren't. Left. But when you get a quad, you take a picture. Yeah, we had it. We we. Called, oh yeah, that's right. You guys did do something. Yeah. Yeah, we called the dog on the first stand, killed it. Uh, walked to the next stand, sat down, and called the quad in, killed the quad on the next stand. <laughs> it was like, okay, let's call it a day. That's yeah, pretty that's, good. Yeah. Really that, was, that was pretty cool. You allergic to shooting them with a shotgun? I mean, they all got to be. It's, it's, uh, well, it's, it's so it's hard. so open out here. Most of the time, they won't make it close. Well, a, a good so, a good caller could get them in. And so 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 a quick note on that <laughs> is <laughs> I think people that make comments like that have problems shooting them at distance because <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. because I mean I, I'm not going to say too see them though. I, I'm not going to say too much here, but if I can keep them at 300 yards and not downwind, they're going to die every time. <laughs> but if I'm in there with a shotgun trying to get them in close. They got a chance. That's just it. You give them a chance to see something or spook it. Something. Or smell if something. You, if you get one that yeah. just kind of pokes its head up at 300 yards, for us, that's a high percentage shot. Right? Unmissable. It's a giant target compared to what we I, usually I, I would typically say. These poor guys don't stand a chance. I, I, would, <laughs> I, I would typically say, and people ask how far do you shoot them, like, our average. So this year we killed 15 in a contest, and I had to miss last year for a JTEC class. But my team in the biggest hunt of the state has has we won it the last two years and then tied for first this year and lost in a way off or something like that. I don't remember how they did it. But two years ago, our average shot was 309 yards. Now, there were some further ones, but we keep them out there. But I would venture to say, somebody asked, how far do you shoot them? I would say if those coyotes come within 600 yards and there's at least two of us on the team that shoot, we usually shoot on four, and there is – a 98% chance that coyote's taking a bullet. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, too. And you know why you lost that coyote contest? Because we didn't kill big, because we shot with 87s no, and they lost because so that other meat. guy brought in the bonus beaver. Oh, That's the bonus beaver? <laughs> bonus beaver. <laughs> Took it from you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, the two coyotes I shot in the quad with uh, Clay were both short. I mean, 100 yards and the other one were probably like 60 yards. And then after that, I don't think I killed a coyote under 350 yards hmm. the rest of the season. But. I got a salvo for a little bit and thought it'd be cool to hunt coyotes with shotguns, and then I just like shooting stuff from a long ways. Yeah. Yeah. So They get messed with so much out here. It's so open. You know, every farmer carries a gun. They get messed with. They're always they're always messed with, so they're real wary. You know, they get up there, and they'll hang out. They'll hang up a bunch at three or 400 yards. It's hard to get them in much closer. Joe hunts them a lot with thermals. And the, yeah. Apparently, things change at night, huh? Well, they yeah, so we night. can do that in Oklahoma now. Um so that's going to be a lot more fun than it's so fun. Yeah. So we may or may not have been scouting before we could do it in yeah. Oklahoma. And looking, we were looking for pigs. <laughs> 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 
just seeing how they we, would we act were, if we it was legal things. in Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> they still stand up, but then they still stick back at night here. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was it? We saw like so, 11 that one time, and none of them yeah, were within 600 yards. Yeah. So I'm going to kick us on because I know it's been a while and this has been a good deal, but I got some questions I got to ask. So I hear some upcoming hunts. Joe, let's hear about this upcoming hunt because I really want to hear about it. What's the details? Where at? Come on, moose hunt. I'll tell you what I know. That's all I need to know. (laughs) So we're going to Alaska on a fly-in moose hunt for 10 days, get dropped off, top of a hill, set your tent up. On foot, no boat, on foot. On foot, it's a high and dry hunt, so it'll be spot and stock, but you got to get your meat back to the Mm -hmm. landing strip after you kill. So you got to know where you you can't just shoot the moose anywhere. It'll be calling, raking, I mean, the whole works. How many of you? You think you you could get some people around him and kind of drive the moose a little more towards the landing strip, you know, to pack him so far? It'd be three of us total. It's hard to walk. Shoot him the leg and then shoot him over. It is with all the heads, we know what they are. What do you really call them? Tussocks. Tussocks. Yeah, I, don't, I never called them that. <laughs> but yeah, that's the that's the big one that we got planned for twenty two. Now, obviously, I hunt with my kids. I love. I don't. I mean, you sure. guys talk about hunting. yeah. You that's send me all their pictures too. My uh, hunting with my kids has probably been one of the most rewarding things that I've got to do. You I should probably all, never hunt with your one daughter ever again. Yeah. Little, She's got little, the luck. I have all little girls. Well, maybe hunt with her, but you shoot instead yeah. of her shoot since she's uh, already killed two monsters. I don't know, man. I I spotted that buck laying there, like, <laughs> sleeping in his bed, and I was like, Yo, wow, this is unreal. So, I'd, have, I'd have just not told her about it and be like, yeah, here, let me see your gun, honey. I need to check something real quick. <laughs> uh, I, I, I bet it was way cooler and way more exciting for her to uh, shoot than if you I bet you were way more nervous. Her, you know, That's funny you say that, Tate, because I've, I mean, I've shot plenty of critters, but... When my kids are about ready to squeeze it, I'm in here, I'm like, thump, 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 thump. Yeah. I'm going 90 miles a minute, yeah. you know, versus if you're on the gun, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's way different with your kids. It's fun. So that's what that's what we got planned for 22. Right. Well, you got any big hunts lined up, Neil? So, so let's let's touch on first. So you got to go on a couple of pretty cool hunts this year. Joe, you, this, you went to Africa this year too, right? 20, last year. September 21. Yeah. So, yeah. so last, last year. year. Okay. Yep. So last year. Yeah, um, I went to went to Tajikistan, which was pretty amazing trip to be fair. Uh mid-Asian Ibex. Just, you know, didn't really know what to expect to be honest with you. Went um right on the border of Afghanistan. I mean, it is across the river. That's Afghanistan right there. And but you you'd be surprised. It was extremely peaceful. That was never a concern and just amazingly gorgeous uh country but steep and rugged i mean just super steep and everything was up everywhere you went it's nothing but rocks and up but we were hunting mid-asian ibex and um had a couple of uh was there in a partnership with uh leica and forlo apparel at the time we had craig bonnington and david draper that were there with us and it was a it was just a it's a great experience like i said but again didn't really know what to expect. Jason Hornady had been there once in December, and so we were like the follow-on trip that went there. And um, yeah, it was it was physically intense, and but enriching too because the people were fantastic. That that was that was my biggest takeaway, and it's usually my biggest takeaway from any of those types of trips is the people that you meet and they kind of enrich your lives. What what's your you know five six seven day adventure is their life 
That's what they do for a living. Every day. Yeah, every single day. And these people are tougher than nails, but at the same time, very hospitable, kind, nice people that are there to make sure that you have a safe and enjoyable experience and, and, and come away successful. And they, they work their tails off to accomplish that for you. So that's what I like the most. I, you know, it's all you get to kill a great ibex too. So that's icing on the cake. Yeah. But yeah. but the biggest part of the hunt to me when I go somewhere is the experience. I mean, obviously I want to kill something big, right? Yeah. But the experience. So let's get off into it. What what cartridge did you take? What rifle did you take for that hunt? Three hundred PRC. Three hundred um, PRC, and how far was the shot? Four hundred. Okay. Um. It, this bunch of backstory. I mean, we were supposed to all go in December. COVID. Hit, kicked off i had had my second back surgery in 14 months and couldn't make the december deal but it turned out that we could do this deal in february that was not the rifle or cartridge combo that i was going to take specifically but for that type of a trip it was it was more than enough it was bad medicine when jason went there in december he got to the airport i think in in dishambe in tajikistan somewhere so december is kind of the the peak of the rut for these things uh for the for the ibex and in the airport there was like six hunters getting on i don't know something like this and out of six of them they all were shooting a six five and all were shooting 6.5 PRC except for one guy who's shooting a RSOM or something like that. But all were shooting 6.5s. So the 6.5 PRC has become hugely popular with everybody that's doing mountain hunting stuff. Yeah, yeah I would say um, I'm pretty good buddies with Travis Stevens at TS Customs, and a lot of the rifles Clay does load development for come from Travis. But he, he told me 75% of the short action rifles that he builds are 6.5 PRCs. Is that primarily hunting stuff too? Yes, hunting stuff. And I mean, it makes sense because you can build a fairly lightweight rifle, the fairly high power cartridge that doesn't have a lot of recoil that kills well. Yeah. Flat shooting kills well. Yeah, it is. It does. It shoots really flat. And then uh, I just actually got done with a nil guy hunt in Texas and then came on my way back through, got to stop and participate in this JTAC class, which has been fantastic. It's like a lot of aha moments, quite frankly. You know, it's just a lot of interesting things you can grab a hold of my guys. gun today and it doesn't move i was gonna yeah. say i feel like <laughs> does it move i feel like you you did not believe me when i said we're gonna get rid of the wobble completely yeah i feel I, like you i'll were be skeptical. honest with you no i've been shooting for since i've been a little kid off of fence posts or cattle panels or whatever and you learn to live with yeah you're right, here wobbly. it comes there it is pull the trigger and you told me oh no i remove it it's gone i'm like all right we'll minimize the wobble i'll just stay kind of in the middle of the plate you're like oh it's gonna be gone i'm like all right i'll listen and then i'll be darned if it doesn't if you get a hold of that thing correctly it does um, not so, but that's the thing at every problem. shooting class you go to or you know like for those folks listening who are in the military you know you go to you do like a land navigation course so you you do i don't even know how many of these things you'll do in your career in the military but every single one of them you learn something from and every shooting school you can ever go to do it the way that the people are teaching you. Try their methods, even if you maybe that doesn't work for you later, but you want to go and try it that way and do it that way so you can experience that because it will work for you or maybe you modify it slightly and it right. works better for you, but you can always, I mean, just and do it that way. Don't be the obstinate person who doesn't listen, you know? Yeah. Right. We get one of those once in a while. It's just like, why'd you spend the money? To come here and do your and work. argue well, with you guys. Yeah, that's, well, that's it to argue, and because it's like you're paying us to come for us to teach you the way we do it, yeah. and the way we do it we, is proven to be work to yeah. work, yeah. right? Maybe you need to modify it or whatever, but don't be so defined. We get guys that are really defined about like, no, I'm not going to do that. I do it this way. It's like, 
okay, keep doing it that way. I don't care. Yeah, I'm just telling you the way that we know that works. Yeah, and it 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 obviously works, and it's just it was fun because it's 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 not. I mean, it's obviously not cookie cutter. You do A, B, and C, and boom, you win the PRS finale. It's not like that. You better right. go burn out a bunch of barrels and keep practicing perfectly. But no, it was it was interesting to go through the stage prep and and uh, you know all the mental checklist you're going through as you're engaging a target it was it was good and then when you hit when you impact left i think you need to actually adjust to the right that, that is correct <laughs> yeah okay no. good. That, that, don't yeah. don't miss left and no, left, left or yeah. left or here yeah. revelation <laughs> <laughs> yeah it happens we all we all have that, that was the big light bulb moment yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i've been doing it wrong for so long so so i'm still stuck on this and i'm sure y'all get tired of getting asking this what are you taking moose on caliber 300 prc 300 prc carbon barrel tight lightweight gun because we're limited on we get 45 pounds a piece right so oh, you're going in on a little plane huh? little plane yep mm. so yeah probably a cub or something some lightweight yeah, a little, yep carbon i've got a three i've got a 300 wscm the 20 inch or carbon mm-hmm. for my, my plan and i've got a stag hunt in new zealand that was supposed to be in 20 and now it's 23. Well, they tried to put us in August this year, and I want to go during the roar. If I'm going one time, I want to go during the roar. So April. late March, early April. Yeah. Did the one guy back out yet so I can go? No. no. Who are you going with over there? Do you know? Uh, Lethan Valley. Okay. Um, we had uh, Matt Clem and um, Justin Shireman from right here that held the heat stroke for so many years. They went and had a great time and had a good – South Island? Um, yes. Do you know what city or town's close to? I don't know. Yeah, that place is pretty spectacular. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful country. And, you know, everybody that goes there always comes away going, wow, you know, it's stunning. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it is. But you go to Alaska and some of the mountainous regions and the, you know, go to the Rockies. And it's equally beautiful, if not more so. But the thing that you'll come away with is how clean everything clean, is. That's what I've heard. You will struggle to find a dirty bathroom. It's incredible. Yeah, they just, they, on the South Island, particularly, they get a, there's, I think there's a million people. I believe, don't quote me on it, but I believe there's like four million people in the whole country, three million up north, one million in the South Island. But yeah, they're just, they care about their country and they take good care of it. And you, you'll be, you'll enjoy it. It's a, it's a beautiful place. I think, I think it might have been you, but we're going to plan on renting a helicopter somewhere along the way and getting flown up. Yeah, you'll enjoy that. I I didn't do any of the heli hunts, but you can you can do that a variety of ways. You can you can hike all the way up to the top for tar and chamois. Um, you can also spot and stalk from a helicopter if yeah, you so notice choose. Notice I said rent a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can you can also go up and get dropped off. And then kind of hunt from an alpine area, so you can kind of camp up there and, and spend time up there and save the save the arduous hike and just yeah. go straight up by helicopter like you would if you were driving to a camp. Same difference, except for you're doing it in a helicopter. Yeah, seems way cooler. Yeah, it's way cooler. Yeah, it is cool. Uh, but yeah, it's just a it's a neat place. There's a lot of you can you can fly fish. The the stags have been there since nineteen oh early 1900s and then they've also imported the uh, the possum that they brought over from australia so those those are running all over the place in some spots you say possum possum yeah <laughs> yeah not an opossum just a possum. possum yeah they brought it over there for the for the fur trade because there was no mammals in new zealand before man showed up so before the maoris got there there was nothing but a bat that was the only that was the only mammal 
Really? Yeah, really. No, 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 no predators. Uh, feral cats play hell on the flightless birds over there. Uh, but they've got tar, chamois, uh, fallow deer, uh, red stag, of course. And there's even, <laughs> they got white-tailed deer. And elk. Yeah, they've got elk. And, um, of course, they call them wapiti. And then uh, there's even... pretty good. Wapiti, yeah. And they will tell you strange sayings like, sweet as. Sweet as what? Nobody ever knows, but the sweet as. The, by the end of the week you're there, are you talking just like them? Like well, you, yeah, you know, you, you you banter back and forth, but they're really cool people, man. I mean, I'm I'm just telling you, they're super cool people, nice folks. Um, um, but yeah, there was even reports of some moose that that were in uh, Fjordland. So there supposedly somebody got some moose over there. So who knows? It's a bit of like Jurassic the, Park. The moose is loose. Yeah. So, but it's an interesting place, and uh, yeah, the stagger. They're they're pretty impressive, especially if you go over there in the roar. Yeah, we're gonna try to take our bows over there. I'm gonna my wife. I'm gonna take a 300 WSM for my wife to shoot a fallow deer or something like that. But we're gonna try to get it done with our bows. Yeah. So you're a pretty well traveled man and have hunted a lot. What's what's probably your top two favorite hunts that you've been on? Oh well, I'd have to tell you that uh, that ibex is right up there. Yeah. Not just because it's recent or anything like that, but. Because it was a very tough and difficult hunt in a very remote part of the world, but I was pleasantly surprised at how amazing it all was, and the the people are not what you think that they would be. You know, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like you would naturally assume it would be. You're in mid Asia, but you're 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 not quite into you're not all the way into Asia, and you're you're definitely not one foot into Europe. It's 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 different. Um, Aside from that, you know, you know, I'm a dad too, and I've had some pretty cool experiences with my kids and having their first hunts here and there. Um, I also have hunted elephant, which was also another huge momentous thing. And it's, it's easy to sit there and think that, you know, there's a lot to elephant hunting. And it's, it, it too is not what people think it is. You know, if people... Yeah, I wouldn't even know what to expect on that. You you walk about twenty plus miles a day, and you're tracking ghosts. You you, you don't see an elephant till you see an elephant, but you're you're tracking. You're walking after them, and the 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 reality of the elephant population is is that there's more and more people on the planet, and as people start to encroach on elephants' uh, natural habitat. You know, it causes human-elephant interaction problems. And then also there are parks where elephants live, but if the elephant populations are not maintained, they then go outside of the parks and ravage through the natives' communities and things like that, where now you have conflict with natives and elephants, and then, you know, big, big, big problems happen. So by controlling the populations of, of elephants, you're you're doing the the biological surplus if you will you're, you're you're controlling that biological surplus which then benefits everybody to include the elephants and and the other thing that a lot of folks don't understand is like so this is a mega mega uh megafauna right so if you have too many elephants uh, they just knock down trees they ruin a lot of the browse that benefits kudus and bushbuck and all these things so 
lot of stuff has to be kept in 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 control so uh there's a lot of emotions that get wrapped up around elephant hunting but there's again so much more to it and and i hope people can educate themselves on 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 how that all comes to be and then the other uh direct um benefit to elephants in the communities is that all that money goes back from the elephant hunt or whatever that happens in africa goes back to those communities you know and that that's who benefits from it yeah and a huge uh, surplus of protein (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) i'd say that'd feed a lot of mouths yeah but yeah those you know most of them i would say those between the, the 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 elephant hunt experience which was which was you know almost you know, it was, a, it was a big deal, and you don't take it lightly. And it's a hard hunt, too, but you don't take that lightly. And then Ibex hunt, and then everything I've done with my kids has been a lot of fun. See them have their first experiences, or then to now see them as, you know, young adults to have success on their own when they've, you know, benefiting from whatever I've taught them and then whatever their friends have taught them and to see them achieve on their own, that's that's big time, too. about you, Joe? your favorite what's your favorite hunt you've been on so i love hunting coyotes i always have since i've been little so if i'm just gonna go with my buddies and go hunting for fun it's coyotes if i'm gonna go serious hunting something i love hunting big mule deer yeah the big I like mules too i, I love them big mule deer. deer so those i love don't get me wrong i've been to africa a few times absolutely love it some of the funnest hunting i've done has been over there because i enjoy when i hunt with those people over there they are like they are almost um, not only are they professional hunters, but like predatory, if you will. The tracking, the 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 art of it, and the the science of it, and how efficiently and how well they can quote unquote hunt or find game or a, or a quarry is 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 something to witness on its own. So that part with the PHs and the trackers over there is has been enlightening and extremely fun for me. You always hear stories about that. Almost everybody that goes to Africa and hunts, you know, at least with a reputable uh, outfit, talk about the trackers and stuff. And they're like, it's just like this trail of tracks everywhere. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's that one. And it went that way. Yeah. And like just pick it out of anything and they know they can walk right to it and know exactly where it went. Yeah. It's it's crazy when you see it happen. It's when like, back to that elephant hunt or you know, same thing with the buffalo hunt or something like that. But we were tracking a bull and it had gotten into an area with uh malala palm trees so they come in there and they get fruit off of these trees well, a whole bunch of elephant tracks are in there like the herd of a whole slew uh, just a you know big troop of them had been in there um and then you're looking everywhere outside of this area to find where that one bull had now left and they can find it it's crazy. And they're seeing just like a, a triangle shape in the foot or, a, you know, it drags the back left foot or something like just that. Just some little indicator that's showing that yeah. it's that animal. And they can look at grass that, that animals have just passed through and determine that, okay, the herd went through here. And you're looking at it, no idea. And it looks like grass. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And they do it at a brisk walk. Yeah. Which is, in, you're walking to keep up and they're just... With very little water, if any water. You know, these are just also extremely tough people yeah i had trouble tracking the oryx over there i had the off-range oryx hunt in new mexico i had trouble tracking just the one it was only his tracks (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm in the same boat i would have the same problem (laughs) i agree 
I walked it until I got tired, and it circled back to the road. And I was like, well, I'll go look for another one. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will beat you, I think. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah they'll, they'll outwalk yeah, you. We found good. that out a, a, you know, a year year or two after my hunt. A buddy of mine drew on-range tag, so we got to go with him on-range and experience that. And that was actually really cool. It's kind of eerie because it's on the, on the White Sands Missile Range, and you go to an orientation the first day. You have to go to this orientation, and they're like – Oh, unexploded ordnance. Yeah, they're like, if you get off the road, you're walking at your own risk. Like, it's just all there is to it. And then they have certain areas that are, like, marked off. They're like, just don't go in that area at all. Yeah. Whatsoever. It's like unexploded ordnance in there. Don't go in there. And we were, they said, you're not supposed to pick anything up off of it, right? But we would walk, and then you'd just be walking out through there. We'd be looking for some, you know, or we'd be looking at a group of orcs. We're going to get closer to see if we get a shot. Um, there was a pretty big cow in one, and you just looked down. And there was like fifty cow shells laying everywhere, and like a belt fed all the uh, little belt clips or the whatever. Link. Oh the yeah, links, links yep. laying there, just just everywhere. Anyway, we there was a herd. You know, they didn't know we were there. We were staying as stealthy as we could, but they were just walking away, and we couldn't walk fast enough to catch up to them. It's oh just, yeah, it's just like every time we stopped to range them, it's like. They're 500 yards. Okay, let's go. We'd walk and we'd walk and we'd walk and we'd walk. I see them again. Okay, how far are they? They're 500 yards. Yeah, it's like an eland. You yeah, never catch an eland. They just or, walk, walk. Or, yeah, they, they or just kind of out west. Yeah. You can't walk them things down either. Yeah, they just kind of get in a nice walk and they just go. For sure. Well, you ready to wrap her up? I think it's about that time. Yep. All right, guys. We really appreciate it. For sure. It's been an honor and honestly pretty, pretty fun, so... You guys got any shout outs, closing comments? I just like to say thanks for inviting us down for the class. Yeah. That's been that's the main reason why I'm here and it's yeah. this has been a bonus, but I just appreciate it. Thank right. you very much. Got to have a big crawfish boil for the Nebraskans too. That is something else watching Tate Streeter with crawfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just it was just, you know, learning stuff all day long and then even this evening. So it was perfect. <laughs> learning learning how to eat a crawfish. But no, we do. We appreciate it and we appreciate all you guys do for us cuz it's 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 great to be affiliated with you guys and uh um we can't thank you enough. But thanks for having us for this for this uh, event as well. I mean, likewise for us, you know, we guys just heck, we might not be here at all. With. You know, ATEP's got us our championships yeah. to get, yeah. you know, to get going. So, <laughs> JTAC might not even exist without the ATEP. Might not. I don't know. I think it has something to do with the guy squeezing the trigger too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what though? It might be part the Indian, but he's got to have a good arrow, right? I, 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 have, I would agree. <laughs> 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 Alrighty. Well, thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you.